أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا رسول الله صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله يا غريب يا مظلوم كربلا يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ذلك ومن يعظم شعائر الله فإنها من تقوى القلوب. God states in the Holy Quran. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم. And whosoever magnifies the rituals of God, Truly, that comes from the reverence of hearts. Amanna billah, sadaqallahu al-aliyyul azim. Let us begin by enlivening and illuminating our hearts and minds and our gathering with the salutations upon the Holy Prophet and his purified progeny. Sallu ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Pilgrimage to various sacred sites and holy places is a prominent feature of many of the world's religious traditions. We find that in the Jewish traditions, in the Christian traditions, in the Hindu traditions, in the Buddhist traditions, in the Sikh tradition, that there are many sacred spaces and sacred and holy sites that are frequented by adherents of those as pilgrimage sites. And they are scattered across the world. Cities like Jerusalem is sacred to several religious traditions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Other places in India, in Nepal, in Portugal, and many other places in the world, there are sites of pilgrimage that adherents of various religious traditions, they come and they visit from various parts of the world. In Islam, we know that Mecca and Medina are sites of pilgrimage. These are holy cities and they are sites of pilgrimage and thus Believers go and they visit Mecca and Medina when they perform the Hajj on an annual basis or the Umrah outside the time of the Hajj. But beyond pilgrimage to Mecca through Umrah or Hajj, we find 
that one of the most potent expressions of Shi'i ritual and culture in particular is the visitation or the ziyarah of the burial places of the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them. This is a prominent feature of Shi'i ritual that the adherents of the school of Ahlul Bayt, they visit the burial sites of the family of the Prophet and other figures. Features prominently in many of our lives, many of us here and those listening and around the world have performed the ziyan on the visitation to various sites throughout our lives. And we know that there is an emphasis on performing the ziyarah. Our teachings focus on this important ritual, and that is to visit the burial sites and the tombs of the Ahlul Bayt. The question is why? Why do we spend time and effort and money and resources in order to visit these sites? What's the purpose? What is the objective? One of the objectives of ziyarat is that it gives us the opportunity to express our devotion to these figures. The Quran and the prophetic teachings, they command us to express devotion to the Ahlul Bayt. This is an obligation upon each and every one of us. And one of the ways that we express devotion is by visiting their burial sites. Gives us a way to express this devotion in action. Beyond just claims of devotion. That we actually take the time and the effort and we go and we perform the ziyarah of these sacred spaces and these holy places. It gives us, ziyarah gives us the ability to renew our covenant and renew our allegiance and loyalty to the Ahlul Bayt We go there and we renew this loyalty and this love and devotion that we have towards these sacred figures. It gives us the opportunity to renew our pledge to live and die like the Ahlul Bayt. We recite in the ziyarah, Allahumma ij'al mahyaya mahya Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad wa mamati mamata Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. What does that mean? We recite in the ziyarah, we say, Oh my Lord, give me the opportunity to live a life similar to the lives of the Ahlul Bayt, of, of Muhammad wa al Muhammad. Give me this opportunity that I live my life in a similar way that the Prophet and his Ahlul Bayt, his family lived. And give me the opportunity that my death is similar to their deaths. Because we are expected to emulate them. In the Qunut, when we perform the Eid prayers on Eid al-Fitr or Eid al-Adha, there's a special dua that we recite in the Qunut and part of this dua, what do we say? We say, وَأَن تُدْخِلَنِي فِي كُلِّ خَيْرٍ أَدْخَلْتَ فِيهِ مُحَمَّدًا وَآلَ مُحَمَّدٍ وَأَن تُخْرِجَنِي مِنْ كُلِّ سُوءٍ أَخْرَجْتَ مِنْهُ مُحَمَّدًا وَآلَ مُحَمَّدٍ What does this mean? We pray that God 
grants us all of the goodness that he granted the Holy Prophet and his family. And And to take away from us every evil that God allowed and avoided the Prophet and his family from experiences. So there's a sense of emulation that you emulate the lives and the teachings and the virtues of the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them. And doing ziyarah, engaging in ziyarah, give this, gives us this opportunity to do so. Now tonight, I want to focus on the place and significance of ziyarah in general, and in particular, the ziyarah and visitation of Imam Hussein in particular. But before I do that, I want to address three important questions. The first of this, the, these questions concerns the essence of visiting the dead and the deceased. Are we allowed to visit the dead? Is there a place to visiting the deceased in Islamic thought, in Islamic practice, in Islamic legal thought? What is the status of visiting the dead? Is it something permissible? Is it something prohibited? Is it something encouraged? Visiting the deceased in general is considered to, to be something that is permissible according to jurists from all schools of thought. To go and to visit the graves of those who have passed away, those who have deceased, is considered to be permissible. And in fact, visiting the graves of the deceased is part of the tradition of the Holy Prophet Muhammad When the Prophet, he moved from Mecca to Medina, and he instituted a new society at that time. One of the very first things that the Prophet did was he allocated a particular space in order for the Muslims to be buried. And that space became known as what? As the Baqi' Cemetery. Some of you are familiar with the Baqi' Cemetery. You may have visited it during your visits to Medina right by the Prophet's Mosque, adjacent to the Prophet's Mosque, there is a very large cemetery. It is known as the Baqi' Cemetery. And that was established when the Prophet migrated from Mecca to Medina. And it was established specifically as a place of burial for the Muslim community, for the Muslims. And from early on, the Muslims began to be buried there. And over the course of history, many individuals, and in fact, even until today, it's still used as a live burial site. People who die in the city of Medina, many of them are buried in the Baqi' Cemetery. So it's one of the oldest. In fact, as far as Muslim cemeteries, completely Muslim cemeteries are concerned, it is the oldest Muslim cemetery. Some early Muslims were buried in Mecca before the Prophet migrated from Mecca to Medina. Khadija, Abu Talib, others were buried in Mecca. But from a strictly uh, uh, Muslim point of view, where 
you had a cemetery that was devoted only to the Muslims, the Baqi is the oldest Muslim cemetery. And it was established when the Prophet moved to Medina. And it continues to, to be used until this very day. Traditions tell us that the Prophet himself, he would frequently visit the Baqi cemetery. During his life, he would go and he would visit the Baqi cemetery and those who would be buried there and he would pray for them, pray for their maghfirah, their forgiveness. So the Prophet himself instituted this practice of visiting the deceased and visiting the dead. And we find that our traditions, they encourage us to do so. They encourage us to go to the cemeteries and to burial places and visit the deceased, visit the dead. And they tell us this encouragement is based on several points. Number one, we are told our traditions and teachings tell us that visiting the dead and the, the deceased benefits the dead and the deceased. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives us the opportunity for good action so long as we live. As soon as we take our final breath, there is no longer an opportunity for us to do good actions. Khalas, the time of action is over. For us to directly engage in the doing of good actions. However, does this mean that we cannot benefit after our death? No, it does not. There are still opportunities for us to benefit even after our death. Even when we are in our graves, before we are resurrected. How? One of the ways is if people come and they visit our grave. And they pray for us. They, they recite Quran. And they seek forgiveness for us. This benefits the deceased. Al-Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he was asked by one of his companions one day. He told him, Ya Rasulillah, is there any benefit to me visiting the deceased, the dead? فَقَالَ alayhi salam, Naam. He said, yes. إِنَّ ذَلِكَ يَدْخُلُ عَلَيْهِ كَمَا يَدْخُلُ عَلَىٰ أَحَدِكُمُ الْهَدِيَّةِ Yes, the deceased person benefits from your visit to their grave in the same way that one benefits from receiving a gift. We all love receiving gifts, right? No one doesn't like getting gifts. Even if they say, oh, don't get me anything. Everyone loves receiving gifts. It makes us happy. Right? It's a symbolic act. The person remembered you. It makes us all joyful and happy. Right? This is why everyone is usually happy on their birthdays. Usually. Because they're expecting gifts. Imam al-Sadiq he says that when you visit the deceased, they benefit and they become happy in the same way that you become happy when someone gives you a gift. It brings joy and comfort to the deceased when they are visited. So this is one point, that it benefits the deceased. It also benefits the visitor. It's not just the deceased who benefit, but you as the one who visits the graves of the deceased, you also benefit. How? One of the ways that we benefit from visiting the dead is that it gives us an opportunity to remember death. We don't like remembering death. 
most of us would probably say this is not a benefit. I would much rather forget about death or ignore death. But we can't ignore reality. It gives us an opportunity. When I go and I visit the cemetery and I visit the deceased, I remember that one day my turn will come. Today I stand here above the ground looking down at the graves. Tomorrow I will be below and there will be others standing looking down on my grave. And this is reality. This is reality. It gives us the opportunity to remember death. We remember the transient nature of this life, the temporary nature of this life. This helps us refocus our energies and our priorities to remember what is important, that what we have to focus on, and what is not important that we should not waste our time with. So this is one benefit. This is why we are encouraged frequently to, to visit the deceased and the death. Another benefit is that it gives us the opportunity to have our prayers and our du'as answered. Last night I spoke about du'a and I gave a list of conditions and prerequisites and times and places where du'a is guaranteed to be accepted. One of the places in which du'a is accepted is where? Is in the cemetery. Specifically, Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says in the hadith, he says, Zuru mawtakum, visit your deceased relatives and friends and others. Zuru mawtakum, fa'innahum yafrahuna bi ziyaratikum. Not only will they be pleased with your visit, but also, وَلْيَطْلُبِ الرَّجُلُ حَاجَتَهُ عِنْدَ قَبْرِ أَبِيهِ وَأُمِّهِ بَعْدَ مَا يَدْعُوا لَهُمَا And when you visit, and in particular, when you visit your deceased parents, if your parents have passed on, they've gone on to the next world, and you go and you visit their burial places, their graves. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, go there to the graves of your parents, and first pray for them, pray that God forgives them, that God rewards them, and then afterwards pray for yourself. Pray for yourself because this is a time and a place in which your supplications and du'as will be answered. There's a benefit. There's a benefit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, especially when it comes to our parents, I mentioned this a couple of nights ago, the rights of our parents upon us are enormous, enormous rights. And we have an enormous responsibility towards our parents during their life and after their death. And because of the high station that parents have in the eyes of God, one of the places, one of the benefits is that even after they pass away, if you go and you visit their graves and you pray for them, you pray for yourself, Allah answers your prayers. This is one of the benefits that the one who visits the graves and the deceased will acquire. Number three, specifically we are encouraged to visit the burial places of the Ahlul Bayt alayhim salam The Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam sallu ala Muhammadin wa He was asked by his grandson 
Al-Imam Al-Hassan, when Imam Hassan was young, he asked him, he told him, my dear grandfather, what are the rewards of those who visit our burial places? Imam Hassan is still alive, huh? The Prophet is alive, Amir al-Mu'mineen is alive, Fatima al-Zahra is alive, Imam Hussein is alive. But Imam Hassan, he asks the Prophet, says, after we die, what is the reward of the one who visits our graves? What does this mean? This means that this practice was a normal practice. If it was abnormal for people to visit the graves, Imam Hassan would not have asked this question. It was normal practice. So the Imam asked the Prophet, the Prophet replies, he tells him, Ya Bunay, my son Hassan, Ya Bunay, man zarani hayyan wa mayyitan, the one who visits me whether I am alive or dead, he doesn't wait until I die, even during my life and after my death. Aw zara abaka, aw zara akhaka, aw zaraka, or he visits your father or your mother or your brother or yourself. Me or any one of you, if someone visits you during your lives and after your deaths, what happens? It becomes mandatory upon me to visit him or her on the day of judgment. And do what? The Prophet says, and I save him or her from their sins. The Prophet makes a promise. He says, those who come and they visit with sincere intention, with understanding, not just ritualistically, with understanding, he says, I promise that on the day of judgment, I will come and I will visit them and I will save them and assist them. This is a promise by Rasulullah. And Rasulullah, when he makes a promise, he doesn't break his promise. He is as-sadiq al-ameen. So we are encouraged specifically to visit the Ahlul Bayt And there is great reward and benefits in this. Al-Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, he says, Man zarana fi mamatina fa zarana fi hayatina. The one who visits us, meaning the Ahlul Bayt, after our death, it's as though he or she has visited us during our lives. How? The Quran confirms this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, in verse 152, 154 of chapter 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, Do not call those or consider those who die in the way of God as dead. In fact, they are alive, but you don't feel, you don't realize it. The Ahlul Bayt, they all died in the way of God. And thus, according to the Quran, they are still alive. So their visit after their death, their physical death, is as though one has visited them while they are alive. It's the same. And then the fourth point, is that we are even encouraged to visit the righteous beyond the Ahlul Bayt. The believing men and the believing women and other individuals who were righteous in their lives. Other people from Bani Hashim who were not Imams but who were righteous. Other figures. 
other holy figures, men and women who devoted their lives to their faith. Righteous individuals, we are also encouraged to visit their graves. Al-Imam Sadiq, again, he tells his companion, he says, Man lam ala The one who is not capable of visiting us, our graves, should do what? يُكْتَبُ لَهُ ثَوَابُ زِيَارَتِنَا If he or she is capable of visiting the righteous amongst our followers and devotees, God would reward them for the visit of the imams of Ahlul Bayt. So the first question is about visiting the deceased and the dead. And we are encouraged to do so. And we are encouraged to do so at various levels. And we know that there are benefits in this both for the deceased and for the one who visits. This is number one. The second question is regarding this misconception of worshipping graves. The followers of Ahlul Bayt especially, the Shia, are often accused by others that when they perform the ziyarah, to some of the sites that they hold to be sacred and holy, that in fact they are worshipping the graves or the people who are deceased there. This is an oft-repeated accusation leveled against the Shia, especially in the followers of Ahlul Bayt. That you go to the graves of the Imams and others and you worship those graves. You worship those who are dead and buried in those graves. Now, ziyarah, we know, does not entail worship of the deceased, nor does it wor entail worship of graves, but rather it entails worship of God. How is this? We know that many of the burial sites of the Ahlul Bayt, including the Prophet himself, and many others, the imams in various places, and other people, righteous people, many of them, they include adjacent to them mosques and masajid, places of worship. What is a masjid? A masjid literally means the place of prostration, the place of sujood. We call it a mosque in English. But literally, it is a place of worship, a place of sujood, prostration. So we find that many of these sites, they contain a masjid, either adjacent to them or surrounding them. And so it is perfectly natural to use this masjid, this place of worship, to conduct one's prayers and worship. It's perfectly natural. One is not worshiping the grave or the deceased. One is worshiping God. One is performing their daily prayers and their recommended prayers. And there is nothing strange about this. This practice of building and constructing a masjid, a place of worship next to the graves of the deceased, is not something new and it's not something strange. Let's go back to the Qur'an. The Qur'an gives us the example of the people of the cave, Ashabul Kaf. Who were Ashabul Kaf? Ashabul Kaf lived long ago. The Qur'an in chapter 18 Suratul Kaf, the cave, gives us aspects of the story of this group of people who are known as Ashabul Kaf. 
very briefly for those who are unfamiliar with the story or might need a little reminder. Who were Ashab al-Kaf? Ashab al-Kaf were a group of men who lived long ago. The Quran tells us about their story. And the Quran tells us that they lived in an oppressive society, a society that was ruled by a tyrant by the name of Diqyanus. And it was a society in which idol worship was prevalent and other forms of immorality. But this small group of men, they had maintained the purity of recognition and worship of God. And they stood out against the indecency that they were seeing in their society. And they raised their voices and they tried to encourage people to abandon this practice and to worship God. But this caused a problem for them in that society. And so they ended up abandoning that society, leaving that society and going and hiding in a cave. Fleeing. They fled for their lives and they went into a cave. And there, while they were in a cave, they prayed to God. They said, oh, our Lord, you see our situation. We are incapable of dealing with the society that is permeated with indecency and immorality. And they have turned against us. And they have hunted us down and they want to kill us. So we seek refuge in you, oh, my Lord. We seek your assistance. Help us. Assist us. The Quran says that God put this group of men to sleep for over 300 years. Over 300 years. They were put to sleep. A long sleep. And then after 300 years, they awoke. God brought them back and they awoke. And the Quran tells us that when they woke up, they looked at one another, they noticed that they had changed. They began to ask one another. They said, how long have we been asleep? They disagreed. Some of them said for one day. Some of them said for part of a day. They disagreed about how long they had slept. But when they looked at one another, they saw that their appearances had changed. Their hair had grown. Their physical and facial features had changed. So they realized that something was not normal, that they had fallen asleep for much longer. So they turned to one another and they said, okay, what do we do? We're hungry now. <laughs> They've been asleep for 300 years. I'm sure they're hungry. So they said, they sent one of them, they told him, go down to the village, to the city and bring for us food. So he goes down and he notices things are different. This society that he was used to looks very, very different now. New buildings have been constructed, new roads. The people look different. They speak in a different way. They express themselves differently. So he goes out. He goes to a store to purchase food. He takes out his money, his currency from when? From 300 years ago. Imagine cur carrying currency with you now from 300 years ago and giving it to the shopkeeper. The shopkeeper looked at the currency and recognized. And the people of their time, they had heard through 
stories, generations and generations that a group of men who were known as Ashabul Kahf, they stood up in society and then they were rejected and they were you know, uh, uh, sought after and everything. So they began to realize, society began to realize these are the men that we heard these stories about who lived 300 years ago. So they pursued them. They pursued them. The Quran tells us that once again he came back, the man came back to his group and he informed them of what is going on. They all realized that they had been gone for so long, all of their family members had died, their friends, their possessions, and so they decided that this was no longer a comfortable time for them to be alive. So they prayed to God, they said, oh our Lord, bring us relief. We're not gonna be able to live in the society anymore. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he took their lives and they were buried. They were found and they were buried. Now here's the point. I gave you the story to arrive at this point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran that when the people discovered their bodies and they buried them, then there was disagreement between people. One group, they said, let's forget about them. Khalas. Let's put you know, a rock here and just forget about these people. For 300 years we've been hearing about their story. Khalas, let's ignore it. Let people forget about this. Another group said, no. We cannot forget about these people. They stood up. They had an objective. This is a miracle by God. This is a message by God. And so we should not forget about them. We should remember them. How do we remember them? The Quran says, قَالَ الَّذِينَ غَلَبُوا عَلَىٰ أَمْرِهِمْ they said what? They said, let us build upon alayhim, means on their grave sites, masjidah. What is a masjid? A place of prostration, a place of worship. The Quran tells us thousands of years ago this was a practice, that people would pla build places of worship in or around burial sites. And had this practice been wrong, had it been wrong, the Qur'an would not have endorsed it. But because the Qur'an gives us this example and remains silent, then this is an endorsement of this practice. Because if it was wrong, God would have said, no, this is wrong. They engaged in shirk. They should not have built a masjid. Just like, in fact, the Qur'an condemns all sorts of immoral or wrong behavior. The Qur'an never says silent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he relates an issue, God doesn't say silent if it's wrong. It's criticized. It's condemned. If something is good, it's rewarded. It's praised. And because the Quran endorses this behavior, we realize that there is no problem with this practice. You're building a place of worship. And the point is to use this place of worship to seek nearness to God. There is nothing related to grave worship or worshipping the people who are deceased, who are buried there. And so the Quran gives us this example. And we know that there are some sites, some places of worship that are more sacred than others. The traditions, they give us the example of Mecca, Medina. They give us the example of Kufa. They give us the example of Karbala and other places that are considered more sacred than other sites. 
And so we are encouraged to pray and to worship in these sites for the reward of worship in these sites is greater than in other places. This is the second question. The third question that is related and that has to do with seeking intermediaries especially when it comes to seeking intermediaries that are dead, that are deceased. At-tawassul that you ask God for the sake of particular individuals, you take them as intermediaries to God. Is this something that is permissible or is it prohibited? Some have argued that it is permissible, it is impermissible. This is an act of shirk. It's an act of associating partners with God. You cannot turn to others. You should only turn to God. We have to realize first and foremost that when it comes to asking for our needs and seeking intercession, that God is the end. No one besides God is the end because God is the provider. God is the sustainer. God is the creator. God is the giver. God is the taker. It is God. God is the end, the beginning and end of all affairs. However, however, this same God who is the beginning and end of all affairs has encouraged us, his creation, to take up certain means towards God. Let us look at a few examples from the Quran. Let's look at health and curing sicknesses. The Quran tells us that when it comes to honey, the consumption of honey, in it there is a cure. Fihi shifa. Very clear. God is telling us the story of the bee and the honey from the bee. And he says, Fihi shifa. In consuming honey, there is what? There is a cure for illness. But in another verse, God says, when I become sick, who is the one that cures me? God. So where does the cure come from? Does the cure come from God or does it come from the honey of the bee? The cure, of course, comes from God. However, God says there are ways for you to acquire this cure and this health. One way is by what? Is by consuming honey. God is the one who created this world and he has created a world of means and resources. We call them natural resources, but they are divinely inspired. When it comes to death, who is the one that is in charge of death? Huh? Who is the one that's in charge of death? Tell us. Israel, alayhi salam. Don't forget to say alayhi salam. The angel Israel, is he not the angel of death? He is referred to in the Quran as Malakul Mawt, the angel of death. God says that at the time of death, the angel of death takes the souls. Who is in charge of life and death? Is it God or Israel? God says, Allahu ladhi God is the one who takes the lives at the time of death. 
So who is it? Is there contradiction here? Is it God or is it Israel, the angel of death? Of course, God. God is the one who created life and death. But God has appointed someone very special and very honorable, the angel of death, Israel السلام, for this job. Is it shirk for us to say that I saw the angel of death? The angel of death came to me. The angel of death took the life of so-and-so. Of course not. Because God appointed the angel of death. And it is God who gives life and takes life. And similarly, when it comes to our provisions, when it comes to our hajat, our needs, God is in charge of all affairs. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. He is the beginning and he is the end. However, God has appointed certain means and certain intermediaries for certain purposes. God says, if you want to reach me, call upon me. But there are certain means. And the Quran is very clear. It uses very clear language. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what? He says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَابْتَغُوا إِلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةِ O oh, you who believe, be God conscious. Attaqullah. Ya ayyuhaladina amanu. O you who believe, attaqullah. Be God conscious. Wabtagu ilayhil wasila. And seek means toward God. Wasila. Wasila is a vehicle, right? The vehicle, the job of the vehicle is to get you from point A to point B, right? God says, use vehicles to get to me. I'm your Lord, I'm your creator, but I want you to take on certain intermediaries and certain means and certain vehicles to get to me. The Quran endorses this. God commands us to take intermediaries. And these intermediaries, whether they are alive or dead, the Quran does not distinguish. In fact, as I mentioned, the Quran says that those who die in the way of God are considered alive. With God, they're considered alive. Now, when we need something, does it not make sense to take the best of means? To take the best of means, right? If God forbid you're ill and you have the ability, you try to find the best physician, the best doctor. You don't go to just anyone. Why? Because you know that that physician is going to get the job done. They know what they're doing. They have experience. They have expertise. When you're registering for a class at university, what do you do? You go on ratemyprofessors.com, right? You try to find the best professor. What's the best professor? The easiest grader, of course. You don't just go and register for any class. You go and you pick that specific means that you think is best. It's something that we do in every aspect of our life. Now, is there any means or intermediaries that are greater than Muhammad wa al Muhammad? Allahumma salli 
The Prophet, peace be upon him, says, من أتاني زائرا كنت شفيعه يوم القيامة. Allah. The one who comes and visits me, I will intercede for him on the day of judgment. And we already mentioned the hadith. He says to Imam Hassan, the one who visits your father or your mother or you or your brother, it is incumbent upon me to come and visit him or her on the day of judgment and to save them. Because they're the best of means. There is no creation greater than Muhammad wa al Muhammad. There is no creation in the eyes of Allah that are greater than these individuals. And so we take up the best of means towards Allah. Finally, final note, specifically about the ziyarah of Aba Abdullah al Hussein. We are encouraged to do everything in our capacity to perform the ziyarah of Imam Hussein. And there are many resources and sources that describe the traditions that are related to the ziyarah of Imam Hussein. In one source, this source is Kamil al-Ziyarat. It's called Kamil al-Ziyarat. And it was composed by a great scholar in our history who lived 1,100 years ago. He lived during the time he was born after the beginning of the Ghaibah, the minor occultation of Al-Imam al-Mahdi, the smaller Ghaibah, the smaller occultation. This man, Ibn Quluwayh al-Qummi, was born during the Ghaibah of the Imam. And he would produce this work called Kamil al-Ziyarat. Kamil al-Ziyarat, and I've, I've done sort of extensive academic research on this. If anyone's uh, interested in learning more about this figure or this work, then I'm happy to share my work with you. Kamil al-Ziyarat, this book that was composed or compiled by Ibn Quluwayh, contains over 800 hadiths about the merits of various ziyaras to the Prophet, to the Ahlul Bayt, and to, to other figures. And out of those over 800 reports, about 70%, meaning over 550 hadiths, focus on Imam Hussein and Karbala. 70% of the reports in this book focus on Imam Hussein and Karbala. And they talk about the place and significance of visiting Imam Hussein alayhi salam in Karbala. And they emphasize that Karbala and the grave of Imam Hussein and standing under the dome of Imam Hussein is one of the places where God guarantees the answering of prayers. If you want to guarantee, visit Imam Hussein. Go to Imam Hussein. Visit his grave. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not turn away the zawar of Imam Hussein. How? Imam Hussein gave everything he had for the sake of God. Everything he had. He gave his family. He gave his newborn infant. He gave himself. He gave his followers, his companions. He gave his wealth, his possessions, everything he gave to God. You don't think God is going to grant the hajat of the zuwar of Imam Hussein? When they stand by his grave and they beseech, they say, my Lord, the haqqi Aba Abdullah al-Hussein. 
for the sake of this man who is buried here. You think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reject the call of those who visit Imam Hussein? Absolutely not. There are great rewards in visiting Imam Hussein alayhi salam. The hadith say that all of the angels and the prophets and the messengers, including our prophet, including Amirul Mu'mineen, including Fatima al-Zahra, including Imam al-Hassan and the other Imams, they continue to pray for the one who visits Imam Hussein and send blessings and salutations upon him. You want the dua of the angels? You want the dua of Rasulullah? Do you want Fatima al-Zahra to pray for you? Visit Aba Abdullah al -Hussein. The traditions, they say, even the money that is spent in order to perform the ziyarah, God guarantees that this money is recompensed, that we are compensated even for the money that we spent. This is why we see in some ziyarahs, look at the ziyarah of Arba'in. Look at the generosity all the way from Basra to Kufa to quell this uprising. And soon Muslim found himself all alone. No support. Where are those thousands of pledges, those thousands of letters? What happened to them? Muslim was all alone. He began to wander into the streets of Kufa all alone. He became tired. He sat by the door, by the step of a door of a home. A woman comes and she opens the door. This woman is known as Tawa, piously. She sees Muslim sitting. She doesn't recognize him. She tells him, oh man, what are you doing sitting here? He tells, him, he tells her, I am a stranger. I am a traveler. Please give me some water. She brings him some water. She closes the door. Muslim drinks the water. After a while, she comes out again. She sees him still sitting at her doorstep. She tells him, oh man, why are you still sitting here? Who are you? Tell me who you are and what you're doing here. He turned to her and he told her, my name is Muslim ibn Aqeel. I am the cousin of Aba Abdullah al Hussein. He sent me here. But we have been betrayed. So Tawa, when she realizes who he is, she invites him into her home. She takes care of him. She prepares for him a meal. The tradition says that that night, Muslims spent the entire night in worship. Until word got around that Muslim was hiding in the house of Tawa, Ubaidillah ibn Ziyad, he sends his army and they come and they surround the home. Muslim ibn Aqil, he leaves the home of Tawa and he begins to fight fearlessly. He fights with all of his energy, all of his power until he is surrounded. They begin to throw rocks at him from every direction. They begin to strike him with lances and with swords until he is surrounded and he is injured and they are able to overcome, overtake him. They tie him and they begin to drag him through. 
and they take him all the way to the palace of Ubaidillah ibn Ziyad. The tradition says that before he entered the palace, there was a guard. He saw a Muslim bleeding. Muslim turned to him and he said, please bring me some water to drink, I'm thirsty. The tradition says that the guard brought for him a bucket of water to drink. As Muslim turned over to drink the water, the intensity of the blood entered into the bucket and he was unable to drink. Once again, the guard brought him a second pail of water and once again it was filled with blood. A third time, once again he was given water and he was unable to drink it because of the severity of his blood. Muslim understood. This is a sign. This is a sign that he would have to leave this world thirsty just like his master Abba Abdullah al -Husayn. He was taken up and there he was asked for his final words, for his final needs. He told them, just give me time to pray a two rak'ah prayer. His final moments, Muslim ibn Aqid decides to do what? He decides to turn to God. He prays, he performs his prayers, and then he turns towards the city of Mecca. He says, As-salamu alayka ya Aba Abdullah. Peace be upon you, O Aba Abdullah. How I wish that you would not be coming towards the city of Kufa, for they have betrayed us, they have turned against us. Muslim is then executed and his body is thrown from the top of the Kufan palace. Word reaches Imam Hussein after a couple of days when he is on his way. Word reaches of the martyrdom of Muslim ibn Aqi. At this point, Muslim's daughter Hamida, she comes out. She runs to Aba Abdullah. She tells him, Oh Aba Abdullah, please tell me if you have any news of my father, Muslim. Imam Hussein, he embraces Hamida, he brings her close, and he places his hand on her hair and he wipes her head. She looks at him, she tells him, Ya Aba Abdullah. What is this action that you are doing? You are doing what is done to an orphan. Their head is rubbed. He looked at her and he said, Allahu inna wa inna rajiun. Assalamu alayka ya Sayyidi wa ya Mawlaya ya Aba Abdullah. Assalamu alayka wa ala al-arwah al-lati hallat bifinaik. Alaykum minni jami'an salamu allahi abadan ma baqeetu wa baqiya al-laylu wal-nahar. ولا جعله الله آخر العهد مني لزيارتكم السلام على الحسين 
وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته وإلى أرواح المؤمنين والمؤمنات نهدي جميعا ثواب سورة الفاتحة مع الصلوات